You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Felix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome to another edition of the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. At Mariners Pod, thanks for being here. Mariners fall in another tough one. They fall to the Tigers in game two of the series. We have a lot to break down with the game, including James Paxton, and boy, he looked very good, and we'll talk about that here a little bit more in a moment. Also, nice feature from Josh Kearns, once again, is on the way. Shannon Dreyer sits down with Manny Atka, which is always a fun conversation. That comes up in a few minutes. And also, this was from over the weekend. I didn't have a chance to play it in the first podcast this week. Rick Riz sat down with David Ortiz, had a conversation with Big Poppy the year that he's retiring and having a monster year along the way. So Rick Riz sits down with Big Poppy. That comes up in a few minutes as well. Meanwhile, for the Mariners trying to turn around what has been a very difficult stretch. And you look at it, and I think I – I think I mentioned this number yesterday, but if I didn't, I think it's worth repeating because coming into the game yesterday, nine of the last 10 Mariners losses were by a grand total of 12 runs. Nine losses, 12 runs total. Six one-run losses and three two-run losses is how that equates of their last 10 And now you can add another one to that tally. You can make it 10 of 11 now, 14 runs, because they've added another two-run loss to the mix. A ton of close games, and the Mariners just continue to be on the other end of things during the course of this month. They did, and this is is fantastic moving forward, because that's something I talked about yesterday as well, where Hasashi Okuma has really been the only Mariners starter the past 25 games or so that's given the Mariners... Uh, consistent innings. Outside of Iwakuma, there's only been two other other starters going into last night that had pitched seven-plus innings in the last 20 starts, 25 starts, including Iwakuma. So that's a long stretch of not getting a ton of innings from the rest of the rotation. James Paxton, and, and not only for what we saw last night, but moving forward and him just continuing to look like he's harnessing the ability with the new arm slot and everything else. There's a lot to like about his start yesterday. The windup and the one two pitch fastball and a swing and a miss make that a cutter down and in for strike three strikes out Upton for the final out of the bottom of the fourth and it's one two three go the Tigers in the inning that is strikeout number three for Paxton. And here's what Paxton had to say about his start yesterday feels good you know I feel like I threw the ball really well uh, tough lineup uh, they found some holes there I made a couple mistakes late that they capitalized on and uh, you know it was unfortunate we didn't get the win today but uh, I think it was good I was able to go deep and um, 
you know, give the ball, bullpen guys some rest today. You threw a 99-mile-per-hour fastball and got to corner to Velez. I mean, can you make a better pitch than that in that situation? Yeah, that's, that's baseball right there. You know, that stuff's going to happen, and uh, hopefully we uh, get some of those breaks going our way pretty soon. Saw more in the changeup today. It looked like. What? How did you want to use that today? Yeah, you know the uh, the changeups. I've been I've been working on that. Um, you know, since I got here, and uh, it was feeling feeling really good early, and it was keeping them off the fastball and working really well. How aware were you, and how hard were you trying to get deep into that game? Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to just pitch my game. Um, you know, that's all I can do out there. If I'm out there thinking about going deep, I'm not gonna gonna uh, stick to my plan. So I was just sticking to the plan that we went over, and I uh, was trying to attack these guys, be really aggressive, and uh, you know, obviously wanting to go deep. But I think I did that just by being aggressive and staying in the strike zone. I mean, the fastball is off the charts. It's it's ridiculous. He he touched a hundred during the ball game. I mean, he's throwing 98-99 in his final inning of work. He sat. At 97 and a half miles per hour, 73 fastballs thrown in total. Man, 15 changeups along the way, 18 cha- uh, 18 cutters slash sliders. However, you want to list it, it's looking more and more like a slider. But now yeah, that's how many you threw of those. But his fastball velocity is, you know, there's only one starter throwing harder than him right now, and that's Noah Syndergaard. Uh, that's where he is sitting in terms of fastball. It's it's unbelievable, especially from the left side. I mean, there's only one other starter since 2008 that's even thrown a left-handed starter that's thrown a pitch 100 miles per hour, and that's Chris Sale. It's The list is two, Chris Sale and James Paxton. So this is a very unique skill set from the left side, and he's not all the way there yet with it. He's still trying to fully harness the ability and the command, but – Man, he looked very good. And I think when you look at the final line from yesterday, I don't think it's as good of an indicator of how really, truly good he was. Seven and two-thirds, 11 hits, four runs, three walks, five strikeouts on 110 pitches. 11 hits, but they were not knocking him all over the yard. I mean, one extra base hit, that was a double. But some bad luck along the way, too. When Detroit took the lead... It's about, and you heard him talking about it just a moment ago. I mean, the pitch could not have been better. 99 miles per hour, and Avilas just somehow gets the bat on the ball, and that's what ends up really costing the Mariners. And again, the one-two pitch. Swung on, a little tapper along the first baseline. Up of the ball is Lynn. No play at home, no play at first, and a run scores. Romine will score from third. The Tigers have the lead three to two. By the time Lynn got to it, Halfway down the line toward home plate, that ball was going to stay fair. Yeah, bad luck, stayed fair, run scores. Detroit takes the lead in the eighth, and they win it by a score of 4-2. to two. Despite Kyle Seeger, who had about as good a sixth inning as you possibly could have, and it started with a two-run jack. Two out, runner at first, he goes, pitch, swung on, driven deep to right. This might be the one. Hunt's high, it's far, it is gone. Two-run homer, Kyle Seager, and the Mariners have a 2-0 lead. 15th homer for Seager, RBI's 47-48. and 48. Hey, now. So a two-run bomb there from Seager, and then defensively turned in as good a double play as you will ever see. Pitch to Martinez, swung on, hit down the third baseline, backhanded on a dive by Seager, goes to second for one, Cano to first, double play! 
That was gorgeous. Diving to the line. Seeger grabbed it. Got up and threw a strike to Cano. And Robbie relayed to Lynn for the twin killing. To third goes Maven. Wow, that was fabulous. You just don't see that very often. A full-on dive down the line. Immediately fires a rocket to second base. Cano, the quick flip to first, just getting Victor Martinez. A sweet double play. But it would not be enough as Detroit ends up winning the game 4-2. to two. And now Detroit tied with the Mariners record-wise. And the M's still looking to bounce back and try and turn what has been a tough stretch around in every ball game. Just not able to find a way to get wins, especially late in ball games. So Detroit gets the win. And now the Mariners today takes on Detroit in game three of the series, taking the mound today, and I mentioned him the last few days, Hisashi Iwakuma will take the mound. He has been so consistent for the Mariners. He's been giving them seven innings every time out. It really would be huge if they could get back-to-back seven-plus inning starts. Paxton pitching into the eighth inning. It would be enormous if they could do that again and kind of reset the bullpen. Iwakuma, 6-5, and 4-1-8 ERA. It's not going to be easy, though. Michael Fulmer is going to go for the Tigers. If you haven't been following him, the rookie has been outstanding. 7-2 with a 2-4-3 ERA. He's just been dynamite for Detroit. You look at his last handful of starts. Five starts. He's given up one earned run in his last five starts. Seven and two-thirds scoreless against Oakland on three hits. Seven and two-thirds scoreless on two hits against the Angels. Six scoreless on two hits against the Blue Jays. Six scoreless on two hits against the Yankees. And he actually gave up a run his last time against the Royals. He went five and two-thirds, gave up one run on five hits. I mean, his last six starts, he's given up a grand total of two earned runs. He is absolutely rolling. He has been dealing. He's been walking some guys, but he's just not giving up hits at all. And he's not striking out a ton uh, in that stretch, three, eight, five, three, and five. And he's not giving up a ton of home runs. In fact, I just mentioned the two earned runs both of those were on solo home runs the team's just not able to put together uh, rallies against him at all which given the hit totals that's not a big surprise so again uh, Verlander was good yesterday and the Mariners have their hands full again today with Michael Fulmer the rookie righty for the Detroit Tigers all right you're all set for today let's hand things over to Shannon Dreher now a chance to catch up with Mariners third base coach, Manny Acta. Catching up with Manny Acta. And Manny, I think we were all watching the game last night on TV. A game seven is always something that a lot of excitement. But you spent some time in Cleveland. You know what that meant to those people. You saw LeBron, the sign go up and the sign come down. What were your, kind of your feelings watching that? Well, it was exciting. Uh, I was, um, you know, it was very emotional for me because I uh, spent three years over there and I know how. You know, they feel how much they will appreciate having a franchise win a championship for them, especially after what they've gone through with the, the Browns and, and the Indians and, and even the Cavs up until uh, last night. And it made it more rewarding, the fact that, you know, LeBron James came back and delivered 
to, uh, to, to his people. Uh, it was tough because I was there when, when he left and um, how that town just completely was in, in, in shock and disarray and, and full of dislike for their own guy. But uh, when he came back, um, you know, I was hoping that, that he would do what he did last night. And I think, uh, you know, Cleveland deserves that. And it's good because they took the monkey off their back and over 50 years not having a franchise win it something for them. I've asked a couple of guys this, and I'm interested in your insight. Most people will break a baseball season down into different parts, and in spring training you're kind of gearing everything toward that start and getting through April, and perhaps a little bit different. And towards the end of the season you're, you're gearing hopefully up for something. Where are you right now in a season, and how do you coach to what you would call this? Well, right now, um, you know, we're fine uh, if you consider, you know, the things that we've gone through. Uh, but we have a, a team in front of us, the Texas Rangers, that they're just doing outstanding. And and, uh, and and that's the reason why it looked like we're we're struggling the way we are. But losing your number one starter obviously doesn't help any team. Uh, you know, we lost Felix, which is he's a guy that we all know the electricity that he brings for us every five days and gives us the opportunity to snap losing streaks and, and, and or continue winning streaks. And right now our pitching staff is going through some uh, tough time uh, due to the lack of Felix and also some injuries and the fact that, you know, they're not going as deep as they were going earlier in the year and that puts a little bit of strain on the on their bullpen. But uh, I, I think we're going to be okay. I think uh, these guys, they go out and grind out. Uh, one thing, we, we lost the last three series and in each of them we had we had the chance to win it so um we just uh, didn't catch a break or didn't do the right thing and that's the thing when you have injuries and you're not at your best then you need to play almost perfect baseball and uh, we haven't done that and we paid for that in tampa and we paid for that with against texas at home and in boston too where we left a bunch of guys on bases but uh this group comes out every single day they're optimistic and uh we're just about halfway through it and it's a lot of baseball left that's what a lot of people <laughs> don't understand so hopefully we uh we'll get it back in gear again and uh we'll get felix back and some of those guys that that are down right now and uh, we'll get into our, our winning ways again all right i gotta ask you a fun question here we'll end it on a fun note dejo lee had his first double the other day you had a unique view of that i'm sure what was that like to see that and what would it take for him to get a triple <laughs> Well, to get a triple, uh, probably somebody's going to crash into a wall and the, and the other corner guys are not going to be backing up. Uh, the double was exciting because we realized that he hadn't even done it in spring training. Uh, we're debating if he did it in spring training or not. I think he did, but um, that was a big debate that we had. So it was good to see him that. It was kind of weird to see somebody hit 10 home runs and not have a double. Uh, but, you know, he, he moves around pretty good, you know, for, for his size. And um, I'd rather him hit home runs than doubles anytime. Absolutely. <laughs> he does that well, why not? It was a lot of fun to see. Manny, thank you. Thank you, Shannon. And now another great feature from Josh Kearns. When Kuma's pitching, then there's a meeting on the mound. Anthony Suzuki will be out there, too. Whether on the field or in the clubhouse, Anthony has been the voice of numerous Japanese players over the years from Ichiro to Nori Aoki. Surprisingly, though, the Hawaii native actually didn't speak much Japanese when he moved to that country as a teenager. It was miserable, <laughs> you know, but overall, you know, I got to live there for about 10 years and I picked up the language uh, as I got older and, you know, a lot of 
the people that I've worked with, that i played with, uh, actually taught me a lot of good and bad Japanese, so worked out well. So you know what, when not to use the bad Japanese? Definitely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the lifetime baseball player and fan was working with an import-export company doing a lot of baseball business when he got an offer to come to San Diego and try out as a translator. He got the gig. There was just one problem. spoke a lot of Japanese and pidgin, the Hawaiian variation on English that's far from formal. You know, when I first started in San Diego, our PR director was so mad because my English was broken. And I, and I told the, the PR guy, hey, I'm from Hawaii, you know, this is how I've learned the language. And he had to fix a lot of my uh, terms and, and all that. And it was, it was hard. But things got a lot easier over the years. And one day, Anthony got a call to come north to Seattle and work with one of the game's biggest stars. <laughs> Idol Ichiro. In Japan, he's known as, you know, the god of baseball. Uh, everyone, you know, looks at him as the idol, including myself. I mean, I played outfield, and he was, he was a star. He was a stud, and you know, it was amazing to to work and to be close to this guy, to you know, pick his brain and to know what he's like, you know, how he operates, how he's wired, all that. It was, it was great. There's just one thing. Ichiro was and remains a global star, and Anthony found himself facing several dozen TV crews and reporters every night. And when you interpret, it's not about just words. You have to understand how they feel, and you have to express their feelings in your own words. And that's not easy because everything is done on the fly. And it's a job that doesn't stop at the ballpark. You have to take care of their family. You have to take care of off-field stuff because that's the only way you can gain their trust. I believe that's how I approach it. You take care of them as a human being. Being a human being, Anthony admits he's made more than his fair share of mistakes, although he wouldn't tell me what they were. Have you ever screwed something up really bad? Yes, <laughs> I have, yes. We all make mistakes, you know, but you learn from your failures. I mean, I tell all the players, you know, speaking the language, it's, it's not easy. It's their second language, being at their age, you make mistakes, but um, it's about, okay, making mistakes, not being ashamed of that. Because it, once you start to feel that way, you get back in your shell and you stop trying to learn. Tell me what I say. One thing we learned over the years was Ichiro actually spoke pretty good English. Many of the longer-serving foreign players do as well, but Anthony says it's much more comfortable for them to stick with their native language and let him ultimately decide how it comes across. For the most part, I, I stay uh, consistent and honest with what they say. I don't try to change the subject or any of that. Sometimes you do kind of have to sugarcoat because, you know, the nuances are different. You know, the way we approach media, the way the Americans approach media is different, you know, in general. So that's just, you have to kind of have a good idea of, you know, what you're doing, what you're saying for the player, because you don't want to hurt the player when he's not intending to do that. It's a lot of pressure. And with it, Anthony admits he often takes his work home with him, even carrying over to his dreams. You know, sometimes it's in English, sometimes it's in Japanese, sometimes I don't even know what language it is. <laughs> so... But you can rest assured that when he's speaking for Kuma or some of the other players, very little gets lost in translation. For the Mariners Sunday Magazine, I'm Josh Kearns reporting. Tell me what I say. And here's Rick Riz with Big Poppy. David, you're having an incredible year, 2016, your final year in the big leagues. How tough is it going to be for you 
to walk away from a great season like this? You already said you're going to retire before the season got underway. You, you've been amazing this year. <laughs> you know what? It's a, it's, it's a blessing, man. You know, like, I truly get prepared uh, uh, every offseason because I know my responsibility. I know uh, um, that the, this ball club come with myself big time. And I still train and go at it like I used to 10, 15 years ago, even if my body doesn't allow me to or don't want me to do it. But my mentality is that train the way I can come here and, 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 and put a good season together. I know that people always talk about age, but let me tell you, age, to me, age always going to be a number. And it's because, as a human, we limit ourselves of doing things just because your body doesn't want you to do it. Yeah. In my case, you can ask the trainer here, you can ask the, 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 the people that work with us how I try to keep up with things. And having all these younger players around me is something that kind of pushed me and, and tried to keep me at that stage. I know that my body doesn't feel the same, that's why doesn't feel the same. That's why I'm retiring after this season. I'm, you know, it's hard. It's hard. But um, the good thing is that um, I have a group of guys around me that are doing good too. And that kind of take a lot of pressure off of me. And at the same time, um, that kind of like helped me out somehow, some way for the pitchers to not just worry about me much. So that with the combination of knowing that I'm retiring after this season, it, it kind of it, it's funny how that works. But when you don't have when you don't have worries in your mind, yeah. like every year I had to worry about I gotta do well, I gotta do good so that I can, you know, follow up with the following year, you know, probably get contract for the next year because I'm a free agent or whatever. That's not my worry about now. And everything is coming out great, you know, everything is coming out good. Hopefully, continue. Hopefully, we walk into the playoff at some point and we uh, end up winning a World Series, so that'll be a, a real happy ending. <laughs> i tell you what, Big Papi, you're having an incredible year, final year in the big leagues. You put together a Hall of Fame career. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for being so nice to me during my career. All this year, every time I come to Seattle, you guys always been so nice. You, you guys always brought a lot of good memories to me when I was part of that organization and all the stuff. That's something that I... Uh, seriously, he, he, it's a good uh, accomplishment, and uh, it's an honor for me to be part of what you guys are. I love Big Poppy. David, thank you so much. You're welcome. See you later! Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from sky 
skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.